Hello, and welcome to The Board Table, a podcast from the North Carolina School Boards Association. I'm Leanne Winner, the Association's Executive Director and your host. Here on The Board Table, we want to equip North Carolina School Board members with the tools and knowledge they need to govern successfully. We also want to help school administrators, community members, and parents learn more about current issues in public education. So on this episode of At the Board Table, we are joined by Ron Pringle, who is the CEO of the Interfaith Food Shuttle here in the Raleigh area. First, welcome. Thank you so much. It's so awesome to to be here. So let's start out with maybe tell us a little bit about the Interfaith Food Shuttle and the area that it covers and the work that you all do. Yes, absolutely. The Interfaith Food Shuttle, uh, where our mission is we feed, we teach, we grow, and we cultivate innovative relationships to end hunger here in Southeast North Carolina. Our service area, we cover about seven counties here in the Southeast, and the Interfaith Food Shuttle pretty much started as a food rescue organization where we were picking up distressed food, food that otherwise would have been thrown away. We were picking up that food and getting that food the same day into shelters and into places on families' tables where that food can be utilized. Uh, The program has grown over the years where we're rescuing about 10 million pounds of food a year, but it has evolved over the years as well as the need we uncovered evolved. So as we began to see the disparities when it came to our seniors, our senior programs began to develop to be able to meet that need. Families needing food assistance, pantries began to sprout sprout up over the uh, seven county service area to to meet those needs, finding out the needs of children and how they were being affected in schools, you know, gave the birth to our backpack program to ensure those children have food over the course of the weekend. And in all of this, it was all about empowerment and getting people the ability to take care of themselves, a community taking care of a community, putting individuals on that pathway to self-sufficiency. So this kind of birthed our agricultural program where we're teaching people how to grow food for themselves, teaching teaching them uh, whether you live on a you know five acre land or in one bedroom apartment, there are things you can do to grow your own foods. So the Interfaith Food Shuttle is kind of an organization that really helped people on that pathway to self-sufficiency. And and that's really interesting because, you know, we hear a lot of discussion about food deserts, that even being able to, to grow a little bit in containers and have some of those fresh veggies um, around, I know is really important to people being able to have a healthier diet. Absolutely. That the biggest thing is access, making sure that people have access to healthy foods, you know, and that's why the agricultural program is so important. We, you know, we, we met the immediate need with programs like our mobile markets, um, our mobile food trucks, which are going out to these food deserts and giving people access but it's also creating a food systems framework within that local community so that they continue to have access and not have to depend on a broken supply chain system that, you know, we're all faced with now. So one of the things I know I've heard you talk about when we've had other conversations is when folks are thinking about making contributions um, Mm -hmm. to whether it be interfaith food shuttle or 
other food banks in their area, what are the most helpful things that folks can do and, and what should they maybe stay away from? Well, there are three things that I'll tell you. Um, your time, your talent, or your treasure, you know, are the three ways that we encourage people to donate. Um, time, number one, is so very, very important, especially to food banks, because we depend on volunteers heavily uh, for a large portion of our operation, whether those volunteers are helping to pack bags or being able to help with transportation and delivering this food, managing these pantries within their local communities, or even doing some administrative tasks there at the food bank are all very, very helpful. And individuals with their talent, you know, we're grateful to have talented individuals around our service area. An example of this would be Leadership Rally, um, where talented individuals are doing a research project for us that our team don't have the bandwidth for, but they're utilizing their talent to do this business strategy for us to help the forward growth of our organization. So that's an example of how you can utilize your talent. And of course, your treasure, your finances, you know, being able to help us by either sponsoring a school, sponsoring a child, sponsoring a program, and, and making that contribution, you know, becoming a, a monthly cultivator, as we call it. We don't look at this as just general donations, but we, we look at this and receive this as investments in our community, in our children, in our seniors, because we're looking for that long-term return that we're gonna get off of that quality of life that we're helping to create. Talk about the Interfaith Food Shuttle's relationship with the schools in the areas that you serve and, and how that has evolved over recent years. Partnerships with the school has been absolutely amazing. You know, talk about it, investment. You know, we, we, we are learning and we have learned that the earlier we can meet that critical need when it comes to our children, the better results we're going to see. And so this was the birth of our backpack program and being able to ensure that that child has access to healthy, nutritious food that they otherwise would not have access to. And over the years, we've seen that in some schools and in certain areas, that need was beyond just backpack for that one child, but there was a need for the entire family. And so that gave way to the evolution of our school pantries, where there's a pantry on site to whereas any family that has a child at that school that may find themselves in a situation where they need emergency assistance are able to get that assistance right from their local school. You know, when we talk about how these programs have grown and how we've seen the results of these programs, you know, it became important to ensure that that child has food access at every stage of their development. So just because they leave the middle school, the elementary school and go to the middle school, doesn't necessarily mean that their situations change. So that's why it became so important to have a school pantry at the elementary school, the middle school, and the high school, um, so that food is not a barrier at every stage of their evolution. So as we're headed into the holidays, this is one of those times of year where children and families with food insecurities are many of our students get breakfast and lunch at school mm -hmm. um, five days a week. You know, I've heard many stories through the years that then the child may actually only get one meal over the weekend. Right. 
as we're getting ready for students to be on break for about two weeks. Yes. Um, how does that gap end up getting filled, especially for those who are getting essentially 10 meals a week from their school? Absolutely. That, that has always been a critical time of year for us when it came to food banks. And it's been a need that we've been really trying to get people to understand. And I think as bad as COVID was, we learned quite a bit I mean, it exposed quite a bit, you know, to how critical that meal is that those kids, children are receiving at school. And it shed light onto that gap during the holiday breaks that those children are out of school. You know, during COVID, when all of our children were out of school and at home and no one had access to those, those lunch meals and that breakfast, it was evident, you know, how much of a need there was out there. However, now that we're going into this break, I think more people are aware. And so this is why we want those school pantries to be stocked this time of year, especially so that families can prepare for that long break by taking advantage of that pantry that's there, that's available at their school so that their child does have access to that, to healthy meals and, and healthy food over the course of that holiday break. So we're hoping that those lessons that we learned during COVID will help to improve and you know, allow individuals to take advantage of the resources that are made available to them. This is something I don't know the answer to, so I'm really asking this off the cuff. Yes. <laughs> Have you heard of schools that have the pantries that maybe once or twice during the break are going to open back up so that folks can come in and replenish? Yes, there are some schools that have made that available. Um, you know, and we learn this through just the conversations with the, the school counselors and the folks that are administering the program um, that that was their plan. And that made us excited. You know, uh, and of course, we're open, we're available. So we're going to make sure that that school continues to stay stocked because we deliver that product directly to the schools. You know, they're able to order what they're looking for from shelf stable items to fresh produce so that they can make those items available. There are some schools, you know, one of the challenges I would say that we find, though, you know, in some schools where we really know that the need is there. We really are wanting to get these services there at that school, but sometimes it's difficult because the teachers and the faculty don't really have the bandwidth to be able to support that on site or may have the space where they can set up a pantry. But we really try to share what we've learned and best practices, you know, and various ways where schools are still able to offer emergency food, even if they don't have a space to set up a pantry. We, we try to streamline the process so that if the school does not have a, the bandwidth, then there are distribution models that we can do at the school, you know, every so often, once a month or twice a month, um, so that families do have access. So I, I would encourage, you know, the schools that feel like they don't have the bandwidth, reach out to us and let's talk through it uh, because we know that there's a need there. I want to pivot a little bit to you personally, because I think your personal <laughs> story is just so powerful. And I just want you to share your personal story and your journey and how um, you got to this work and why you're so passionate about it. Yeah, no, no worries. I, uh, <laughs> I'm smiling because I just was talking to someone about this this morning. <laughs> 
I tell people I'm, I'm, I'm simple. I'm a, you know, Gullah Geechee country kid, you know, from the low country in South Carolina who grew up in a food insecure environment and, and did not know it. You know, I, my, my mother passed away at, she was only 36 years old. You know, we were all very, very young. Um, you know, I was 12 years old and my father, you know, 37 years old now has four children that he has to provide for an income that was lost. And so it left our family in a situation where we had to rely on a food bank. You know, luckily my grandmother, you know, the big mom of the community, you know, she, she knew about the food bank as a resource. And so she would often go and I would go with her and we would pick up food for a lot of families in the neighborhood, including us. Food was always present. It wasn't any type of stereotypes or bad feelings that we had as children uh, because some of the boxes were dented or and, uh, some of those things or eating food that we've never heard of, <laughs> you know, that we we're being introduced to. Uh, but we had access. And because we had access, we were able to be children and do what children do. They hope, they, they play, they thrive, they, they dream of what they want to become. And I dreamed of joining the Air Force and being an Air Force pilot. So I, that became a reality for me where I was able to sign up for the Air Force at 17 years old and left home on a waiver, but a little disappointed because I found that I was colorblind and couldn't fly. <laughs> However, <laughs> I was still able to serve my country and, and learn so much during that time. Um, and coming back home, you know, going through the challenges that many of my veteran brothers go through and trying to readjust, it was very, very hard um, during that time. And there were some challenging times to that you know, I faced and living out of my car and kind of struggling to get on my feet here. And someone told me about a position at the food bank, that they were looking for somebody in the warehouse, you know, and I went and spoke to the director at the time and um, told him about my, my challenge. And I was really looking for an opportunity. And he gave that to me. And I started working at the food bank. And I felt like I was serving again. You know, so it felt like I was back in the military. I had purpose. You know, I was I was serving. I was meeting veterans who were going through what I just went through and we, I was able to help them. And later on, you know, as I, we were doing this and a couple of years passed, I went on a talk, you know, speaking engagement with our director. And I listened to him as he presented to the civic group. And he was talking to the group and he was telling a story about a single parent raising their children on their own and depending on the food bank. And this is why we need the resources so that food can be available. And in listening to him, I thought about me. It's like, wow, he was talking about me. That's my story. And lo and behold, when I looked at the time and really started talking to him, it was the same gentleman that was telling my story 13 years earlier that gave me the opportunity to work in this field. And I just thought it was full circle. So from that moment on, it became a responsibility to pay him back for this opportunity. And that's what I've been doing for the past 25 years. Well, I mean, you you are a treasure to the state, and um, we are lucky we got you from South Carolina. Um, <laughs> the work that I have seen you do over the last couple of years since I met you has just been incredible. And 
look forward to seeing more of that. As we kind of wrap things up, is there anything else that you think our listeners should know? Mm-hmm. Keeping in mind, they're going to be from one end of the state to the other. Absolutely. Anybody can listen to this podcast. Yes, absolutely. And what I would say is I'll give you three words. Feeding the Carolinas. <laughs> that will be your place to start. Feeding the Carolinas. If you don't know of the local food bank in your area, Feeding the Carolinas, that's our state association in which I currently sit as the chair. But there are seven food banks in the state of North Carolina, three that serve South Carolina, and we formed an association or coalition where we are feeding the Carolinas, both North and South Carolina. But on that website, you're able to find information about your local food bank that serves your area. Each food bank serves a certain amount of counties within the state. So all 100 counties in North Carolina are covered by a food bank somewhere. There are over 2,000 faith-based and nonprofit partners that rely on food banks and have pantries in your local community. So start there at Feeding the Carolinas, find your local food bank, and go to that website and look for the volunteer opportunities. Look for the ways that you can get engaged, whether it be through board service, committee service, volunteering services at the food bank, um, packing bags or delivering groceries. There are so many ways you can get involved. And of course, your monetary donations are so, so very important. Many of the resources that we provide um, to our pantries at the the food shuttle, I can tell you, 100% of the the programs resources we provide, the food are free to all of our partners. And it's, we do that because we want those partners to use the, their resources to really address the root causes of hunger and, and solve that in their community. So those contributions are so very, very important to ensure that we continue to fill that gap and be that safety net for thousands of families across this across the state. Well, Ron, thank you um, for joining us today. I really appreciate it and continue the good work, please. Thank you so much for having me. Have you ever heard the saying, if you're not at the table, then you're on the menu? Subscribe to this podcast to make sure you always have a seat at the table. If there's a topic you want us to cover in a future episode of The Board Table, let us know. You can find us on Twitter at NCSBA, Facebook at NC School Boards Association, or email us at info at NCSBA.org. Until next time.